Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where bringing together leaders in the gaming industry to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm James, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the German market, and today I'm going to be your host. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, and Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jakob, Alex, Ivan, and Soren. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Jakob, would you like to start? Yep. Thank you, James. Um, like, um, I'm currently the product director at Colibri Games. I'm leading a game called Edelminer Tycoon. Um, essentially, my job is to make the numbers grow and like to adapt uh, the game to the ever-changing uh, free-to-play market. Um, currently, my biggest passion and challenge professionally-wise is um, the hybridization that's going on in the free-to-play market. That means bringing uh, mid-core features into more casual titles and uh, bringing casual gameplays uh, to more mid-core titles. So. That's what's interesting me now, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping to implement it successfully in Colibri Games. Amazing, perfect, thank you. Uh, Alex, would you like to take take on from there? Yes, yeah, sure. Thanks for the invitation, James. Uh, welcome. Um, hello, everybody. I'm Alex. I come from France. I live in Berlin for two years and work for Toadman Interactive as a senior level designer. Uh, previously, we worked on the Vermintide uh, Games uh, franchise, with like the Warhammer franchise. And currently, we're working on a brand new but secret project, and it's very exciting. That's uh, the only thing that I can say about it. Uh, and my passion in life is a sport, and especially rugby. Yeah, amazing. Thanks for that. We all love a bit of rugby. Um, let's go, Ivan. Do you want to introduce yourself? I do. Hi, everyone. So, my name is Ivan. I am senior game designer in charge of combat design at Savage Games uh, Studios here in Berlin. A proud part of PlayStation family. Uh, we are working on an unannounced game. One day we'll be happy to present it to you. Like, stay tuned. And my biggest passion is, uh, I'm saying, like, happy moment because my biggest passion is combat design and I do combat design. So, yeah, every day is holiday. That's all right for some. And finally, Soren. Hey, everyone. I'm Soren. Uh, I'm a freelance producer in Berlin, Germany. Uh, currently working on an unannounced AA uh, game and have worked previously uh, for the last uh, four years in virtual reality. A uh, big passion of mine is, of course, gaming and when it comes to game development, working on uh, new creative things. I like to go Blue Ocean. Sounds great. Really interesting, all of you. Uh, so now that we've established a context of each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. Um, you all have a statement on innovation and game development. So as usual, I'll work around the room, ask each of you to pose your statement and the reason behind it. Uh, each of you will have the opportunity to take 
to give um, your take on the situation. So let's start with Ivan. Uh, yours is innovation on a tight schedule. Do you want to give a bit of context behind why you ask this? Sure. Thank you, James. So innovation on tight schedule. Schedules are always limited and we always have to work on schedule. And I like personally want to find a way for deadlines and milestones, not limits. Uh, how big can we think about games? And uh, the way I found it working for me is keep thinking big, keep thinking like in big innovations, big future features, but uh, like implement them in really like small steps, like decoupling everything you can, like decomposing everything you can into like the smallest bits, uh, proving them on the stage of like design prototype as much as if you can and uh, like have big picture in mind, but uh, build it in like in really, really small and sizable steps and plan these steps in a way that at reasonably any moment or like at any milestone, you have something that can exist without the rest of the feature and like can add to the concept that you're like keeping in your mind. What do you think about that? Amazing. Yeah, great. Alex, do you want to sort of lead on with it? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I like what Ivan said about like thinking big, but also um, approaching step by step by little uh, implementation. I think it's very, very uh, key of um, like in innovating on tight schedule because you never be, you will never be uh, overwhelmed uh, by what you want to achieve and what you want to uh, add to your game. Uh, but also is very important in my uh, in my perspective to identify which area of your game you want to you want to innovate in. Uh, because if you think way too big, we might come across a lot of areas and a lot of disciplines at once, and this could um, yeah it will involve many people. And we all know also in the game development, especially in team game development that um, involving a lot of people at once need also time to uh, synchronize. As soon as we manage to identify properly uh, exactly where we want to innovate, uh, we can identify the people and as soon as possible put them uh, all together to communicate and uh, yeah, and bring this innovation to life. Amazing, great. Uh, Jakob, have you got something to say about it? Yeah, I think uh, it's an important topic, and for me, um, especially when it goes uh, to like short time periods or like uh, trying to be as efficient as possible, I think it's important to first in like a small group uh, of people, like um, really sp specify like what are we trying to work on, just as uh, Alex said, and uh, to make like the decision, like create the boundaries and the and the columns that we want to stick to and not to venture into into other things. And then it's also much easier for uh, for the people involved to focus and know that, yeah, this is the priority uh, and uh, they can commit their full focus uh, uh, to achieving this this particular innovation. No, really interesting. Uh, Soren, have you got some views on this as well? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think it was especially interesting what Alex mentioned earlier about, like, there's different areas of, like, how important is it to to innovate on this stuff, right? Because I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to um, do we even like have the time to do this, right? If we're already working with a tight schedule, sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, 
if we do this, we're putting a lot at risk and it might not pay off. And in certain cases, then in future cases where you want to, again, innovate on something, those people might be a little more hesitant to do it since uh, past experience may be poor. Which is why I like to think about it is a how much time do you have to invest into this innovation where you can still make a safe jump back and say, hey, we tried it, we're unable to find the proof of fun in that time, but now we know that this is still something we can tinker with for future projects. Nice, really interesting. Has anyone got anything further that they'd like to add on to this? Um, yep, uh, I'd like to just add something um, that um, is something that I, I care a lot about is even if we want to tight schedule to implement anything uh, innovative or just like classic stuff in our in our games, um, it's important to manage a little bit of time or to iterate. And I think it's also um, connect to what Soren said just before is um, it ensure ourselves to uh, to be sure that we have something to jump back if something fails we have at least something that we can uh, uh, well yeah we can uh, it's, a, it's a little safety uh, we can uh, ensure ourselves so yeah uh, tight schedule doesn't mean we have to rush for one result but maybe uh, allows allow us this, the time to iterate yeah nice Alex really like that uh, Ivan have you got something to say as well have you oh really great takes guys and uh, uh I, I'm I'm really happy to see like you know almost everyone in the industry getting in line like uh having like safe like safe points checkpoints we can all roll back and uh, respecting each other's boundaries I think we are in for the great future in the world. Yeah, thank you, Ivan. Yeah, really good. Okay, so we'll move on to the next um, statement, which is uh, Soren's, which is innovating good to great versus poor to possible. Do you want to explain a little bit behind this? Sorry. Yeah, so uh, this is one that's always been a really interesting topic for me because when you look at um, the games from, from like 10, 20 years ago, especially let's say like platformers, shooters and stuff, and how they look like today, you see significant changes of and, and, and uh, improvements and polish in all the like finer tweaks of the mechanics, right? To the point where uh, platforming uh, in a game that comes out today, especially from like Nintendo with the Mario platformer, so it it is superb. It's immaculate, right? But then it comes down to there's other features that like let's say a uh, an escort mission, which also back then was was just awful and terrible. But today I wouldn't in most cases say that it's it's on that same level. I think it's more it's gotten to a point where like it's okay. We're fine with having Atreus, Ellie, or whoever following us around and stuff. Um, and that's why I'd love to hear your guys' take on this idea of if you have the choice to innovate something that's already good to something that that's fantastic and great versus taking a little more time to take something that's really poor and frustrating and just making it okay. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Alex, do you want to take the lead on this one? Uh, yeah, very interesting and uh, like um, connected to the creative part of, uh, of uh, innovating, uh, which is... I would say uh, when something is good, I would not try to make it great. I would like the challenge, <laughs> something that is poor, to take it to something passable and eventually, uh, yeah, uh, bring it one day to something good, <laughs> from poor to good. Uh, because I think the with now the the way we have and the the, the all the tools we have, so we required uh, through the history of video games, we can manage to. Um, yeah, take an old idea that didn't work that well back then and try to 
put all the tools we have now and all the knowledge we've gathered uh, throughout the years to make it a little bit better and eventually create something that will, um, I don't know, create a new genre or something like that. That's, um, for example, I have an, an example is, uh, with a stealth game uh, before uh, Hideo Kojima uh, arrived with Metal Gear Solid franchise as we know it in, on PlayStation. It was something that looks a bit more like a classic war game shooter, but it tweaked at the at the beginning. It tweaked a little bit the the attack uh, system to something more uh, to avoid enemies instead of attacking them. But it was still in 2D. You still have the possibility to attack. And then when the 3D arrived, you have more ways to uh, experiment this uh, this idea. And now it became from a little genre a pretty niche genre to a more mainstream genre and even a feature that sometimes we have in a classic action game you have this stealth part of um of the video uh, of the game so yeah um it's i think it's very interesting to not give up on ideas that were poor at some point and try to make it to make them a little bit better as soon as we have new knowledge and new tools to use uh in this idea nice thanks for that Alex, um, Jakob, you got something to say as well? And Adam? Yeah, I think that uh, it's really interesting to see the difference between um, the premium games, which are more like, yeah, I'm working on a new project and like we want to innovate on the genre and the game, the type of games I'm working on, which are like long running live service games, where uh, where it is, the priorities are a bit different, uh, where first when you like take this um, live game, you want to fix things that are really annoying uh, the uh, the active player base. So the poor things and make them possible so they don't leave and they keep uh, keep being in the community. And then you want to, uh, when you try to change the things that they perceive as good, you will mostly get more hate than thank for changing some things they are already used to, even if they're not perfect. And rather, uh, after fixing all the poor things, uh, it's uh, better to focus on just adding new stuff and like uh, perceiving what could be what could be next when that wasn't there before. Yeah, I think you had a really good point there, Jakob. Um, changing things that are already good uh, to something great, um, it, it could potentially upset quite a few people. And I can agree with you on that side. Uh, Ivan, uh, have you got something to say as well? Yeah, um, give it uh, um, maybe a little bit different spin. So, as it was said, like previously, new games have like much, much more stuff than the games had before, and uh, it's reasonable. Like we we need to have all these new missions, new mechanics, new elements in each game, and it makes us. Uh, it requires us to be like mindful of uh, how we approach the quality. Uh, so not all stuff in every single game should be like top quality like but super innovative like perfect great and so on sometimes the, there are things that are just there and they're not seen as much and not interacted as much so we'll need to be mindful i believe we need to be mindful about the priorities and we need to be mindful of how persistent those features are and how much players interact with them so we can, you know, cut some corners sometime, but in ideal world, everything should be perfect. Nice, yeah. Everyone likes to live in the ideal world uh, where everything's perfect. I could definitely agree with that. Uh, has anyone got anything that would like to sort of add on um, 
from that are we happy okay. i just want to say again like I, I really enjoyed everyone's takes uh especially Jakub uh coming from a different direction with the the, the mobile uh with the mobile angle no yeah great I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that sort of side of things as well uh sweet so what we'll do is we'll move on to Jakub's uh Jakub's statement um which is innovating uh live free to play games uh do you want to give a bit of context behind this one Jakub yeah so yeah, my my topic about uh, innovating on live or older games that are already have been there for quite some time. I think it's uh, interesting, even though it's not so you know like uh, popular as like thing like what will be the next hit that we'll make. Uh, but anyway, uh, also with the fact that there is you know still like millions and millions of players that are playing games that they've been with for years and they want to enjoy them for a long time. And uh, I think that the key component is this, is like, how do we stay competitive, right? Like, so we have a game that was designed 10 years ago or five years ago. Um, maybe the monetization techniques weren't so good back then. Maybe the code base isn't so great. So how do we uh, how do we pick what work worked next on? And uh, so I think that it's, uh, it's a really interesting time now in the free-to-play space where we, on one hand, we have uh, like a huge amount of uh, downloads going to the older games uh, who have legacy and who are supported very well with the platforms. But also we have uh, the newcomers that have uh, much better systems. And then um, I think that there are a couple of approaches how, how to go, go to this. And um, maybe I would um, try to outline like uh, what is some of my thoughts about this? And uh, I would like to hear uh, if you, if there is anything from your genres that you you could um, respond. So the first thing is that um, a key thing is to understand your core audience. I think that for a longer time this wasn't as uh, clear to many developers in mobile free to play, and they just tried to transplant features from one to another without giving it a better thought. And uh, to understand also like where is my game making the most money? And uh, what is super helpful nowadays that we have all these uh, in free-to-play games, all these uh, marketing uh, market research tools where I can see that okay, my new competitors are making two times more money per per player than I am, for example, uh, with a cool audience. So maybe uh, if I'm working on a casual game and my competitors are uh, have a better revenue per install, I can try to get inspired from genres that have a higher better monetization, either RPG games or strategy games, and try to innovate in a way that is there a way how my audience, my core audience of this casual game would enjoy some of these uh, maybe maybe deep, deeper mechanics that also uh, monetize better in the mid-core audiences. And on the other side, if uh, what we've seen in a strategy and the RPG games uh, nowadays is that, yeah, that those games have smaller audiences because they're more complicated. But uh, what they can learn from the casual games is that uh, they can implement mini games, for example, match free games or some puzzles. And uh, when they do this, they can in increase the appeal. Uh, they have good monetization, but it was harder for them to acquire new players. So they uh, implement uh, some, something accessible to the game, which uh, is easy to play. 
and uh, it makes it easier for them to attract new players, even if they're older. So just to maybe wrap this up, I think that uh, it's a really interesting space to try to keep older games competitive. And uh, especially now, it's um, there is a huge creative space in trying to figure out how to learn from different genres and what can be uh, implemented in a good way for your own audience. No, yeah, thank you for that. Um, should we start with Soren? Oh, no, we'll go Ivan. Ivan, would you like to start us off? Uh, yeah, it, like, uh, really run some bells for me, like, from previous experience. Uh, like, uh, I really agree with you, Jakob, and sometimes, like, it might sound harsh, but sometimes players, like, they don't know what they want in the game. Like, they just want the same, but better. And, uh, like, trying to innovate on the game's call might be tricky, because we, like, might make the game not as enjoyable or, like, change it in, in like, in ex unexpected way for the players. So we don't want to make them unhappy. We want, you know, them to enjoy, like, w what is good enough for them. And I would say experimenting with something new that wasn't in the game, like, before, new feature, new type of event, maybe some new characters, some new mechanics uh, will usually be perceived better as a like nice bold move that like develops the game and uh, gives players more opportunities than digging into the core and improving something that's probably like good, uh, fine, and enjoyable enough for people that's already in the game. So totally agree with you. Yeah, thank you for that. Um... Yeah, it's a it's been a lesson <laughs> that I've seen time and time again that uh, um, players like to have things like w where they were uh, for the last couple of years when they were playing and not move them too much around. And they, if we want to be in innovative, it's uh, just better to find a way how to add something new on top or like maybe redo something early. That's for the players that are not so, you know invested in the, into the game than like changing everything uh, that's been there before. I mean, I uh, I guess we all uh, know that if we're using, I don't know, Facebook or some other uh, app for a long time and then they change the UI so everything is in place, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I know that I struggled quite a few times with this. Yeah, Alex, would you have take on from that if you've got more to add? Uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting actually because it's an area that I... I uh, I never experienced so far, and it's um, something that I will uh, be happy to learn about. Um, yeah, but from just an experience as a gamer, as also a player, that's we all are. Um, for me, I really subscribe to what Ivan said uh, that players want everything but better. But we all have a different idea of what's better better is, and this better could be very 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 tricky for us developers to just integrate these innovations. So that's why it's very important, and this reconnects to what um, Ivan um, taught us earlier on the uh, innovation on test schedules, is to like eventually get a little scope of innovation. So like, let's try something a little something more into a game that could give us an idea of the direction we could take, and this could be 
yeah, just uh, some visuals tied to an event, like for Christmas, for Halloween and stuff. Oh, players like this kind of stuff. Let's go a little bit further in this. And but try to not touch directly to the core of the game, like the core mechanics, the core features, because that's a very, very risky move and it can jeopardize a lot of things in the game. And communities can really... <laughs> we all know that gamers can get very, very angry very quickly. So it could it could be a very risky move to do, though. Um, but it's very interesting. The free-to-play and live games uh, have a model that innovation can be injected by a little, little amount uh, through time. And um, yeah, renewing an experience is very, very challenging, but interesting also. So um, yeah, um, this is this will be my take on this. Like Ray, try to take the temperature by touching small things on the periphery, like uh, pretty. Yeah, on the periphery of the game, not on the core directly. And then um, as mo as the player uh, likes these new additions, eventually try to make this new direction open, a new uh, perspective open, leaning towards the core uh, features of our game to make it more um, impactful for the players, their core experience, if it's relevant, of course. Yeah, nice. It's good to get a player sort of perspective. Thanks for that, Alex. And Soren, uh, do you want to sort of lead on from there sure so um a lot of really good points already coming from uh all of you guys about um how players have the certain expectation when they they keep coming back as a returning player so keeping that retention up is important but also to give them something interesting and new from time to time whenever they log in um one great example of this that i found in a game is in uh, Fortnite. if you you play this routinely what i've noticed is that um there are these these basic mechanics, uh, running, jumping, shooting, and stuff that don't change too much. They basically stay the, sa say they basically stay the same. So any player that jumps off and, and jumps back in a year later, so they'll still be familiar with how to play the game. However, the interesting thing is that every two, three, four weeks, there are uh, gameplay modifiers that get uh, introduced and others get taken away, which uh, completely changes the way like the, the meta of the game is played. And um, how it, it introduces new mechanics for you to learn and to interact with. But in the back of mind, you already know these are temporary. These are time things. So this also, in a way, plays with your your FOMO, your fear of missing out to to not be part of the zeitgeist of, of that specific uh, part of the game. But on the other hand, it adds this interesting thing of uh, like trying to figure out what's what's coming next. What are they going to introduce? Or like they'll they'll tease one tiny little mechanic that they'll introduce, and they're like, oh well. I feel like they could work on this and expand it and it could turn to this, this, or that, right? Um, and then you end up doing some speculating and it, it becomes part of this this thing that you enjoy and you think about it when you're when you're not playing. Oh, yeah, really nice, Soren. Has anyone got sort of anything that they would like to add to any of that to wrap it up before we move on to the next subject area? No, amazing. So we'll move on to you then, Alex. Um, yours is the integration of innovations in the game development process. Do you want to explain a little bit behind this one yes of course uh, well as uh, <laughs> as it was also expected uh, we I arrived like this question arrived at the end and we we had some elements of uh, of this already uh, discussed uh, but yeah the integration for me in, uh, of innovation in the gap process is more about like what kind of place we want to dedicate to innovation in um, the game dev process like on a project uh, where uh, do you guys do you think like you will allow some 
uh, freedom for, I don't know, tech or design or art or all of them to experiment and try to be innovative because we all know that innovation is a big risk uh, most of the time because it's exploring the unknown. But it's also something that could uh, grant us a big reward in the end if we, if we, if we manage to um, yeah, innovate and successfully innovate in our game or in our project. Um, we could, yeah, we will end up to have something very, very interesting and very uh, mindful for our players. So, yeah, I would like to have your uh, opinion on that. Like, what kind of uh, space uh, do you imagine that would you like to uh, give to innovation in the in the game dev process? Yeah, really nice. Cheers for that, Alex. Jakob uh, Jona leave with it lead with this one right yeah uh very interesting i'm um i'm just thinking like uh whether to take it more literally or like more philosophically uh, this question um for me like uh currently i'm more in the way of like the integrity and uh like how do we actually make innovations happen so for me it re resonates more with the production part like uh how do people find the time to innovate, for example? Uh, how, and how how can we afford actually like to let them innovate? So for me, it's uh, always this um, this no notion of like making it a priority, like and to make um, understand like yeah, we as a company we actually want to innovate or uh, in our process and uh, in the game. So a like we have to find people that will have time to do that uh, and full focus to find out which direction and if we want to innovate like on our processes uh, themselves like how do we do things uh, we found that it's like uh, really cool to uh, like make like specific time to for people to to improve and to try to 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 make new things for example in one of our teams we have like a 10% rule where uh, where people can uh, like obviously it's, uh, what exactly they are learning or trying to improve in these uh, four hours per per week is consulted with their team lead. But it's essentially everyone in the team has to find something they want to improve or learn uh, four hours per week. And uh, we've seen great things come come out of it, and people really enjoy it. So that's one way. No, that's really interesting. Has anyone else got any sort of examples of how they've used it um, within their current businesses or anything? Yeah, go for it, Soren. Yeah, so um, we already talked about this a little bit earlier, this idea of you, uh, you dedicate a certain amount of, of, of buffer time to to innovation, right? And then still have that, way, that, that, that safety net to jump back and say, hey, we weren't able to find the proof of fund. Let's, let's cut our losses and move on, right? But it's it's not entirely one large clump. Instead, it's kind of like in a, a very tiny clump, and then it gets larger and larger and larger. In that you first have this, you you have your idea of like, hey, what if X Y Z? Um, and if that what if sentence by itself, that theory already sounds good. That already then gets like greenlit onto a a a further development stage where we then do some R and D. Maybe we then say, okay, you have two hours, four hours to, to tinker around with this and see what we can come up with. And then after that, we take another look. And if at that point we're like, okay, seems kind of cool, but it seems very expensive or like it's it's becoming very clear that there's a lot of unknowns, maybe we do, again, just, just cut ties for now, but icebox it, uh, take it back out again for the next project. Um, alternatively, if we realize, hey, this is really cool and it's 
like everyone's super excited about it and it becomes this point of like it would now be a shame not to have this as part of the the, the application right um then we say okay well then if we're still a little unsure about it but we know we want it then let's dedicate another day two days three days to it and then you kind of have this snowball effect where like if it makes it past one stage you give it additional time to move on to another stage to continue poking at it make it fight for itself but uh if it can prove itself if it can prove it's fun uh then at the end of the day like you have something that that has incredible value right yeah nice really agree with you there um ivan have you got much to say about this as well yeah uh i believe like uh there is no single place for innovation like either in like in a game or like in a company and uh like you can anyway anywhere on process on your approaches on mechanics whatever I think what's important in innovation is like being brave because uh, usually innovation needs to maybe not like not always it, it, it would be impossible if not always but like often it leads to like mistakes and failures and uh, you know to like setbacks usually like pretty big ones so uh, you need to be brave you need to like assess your expectations uh, not be afraid of like be mistaken uh, be like maybe like a little bit of ashamed of what you've done <laughs> because you believed in that probably a little bit too much and uh, this should never stop yourself like from innovating again and uh, we in the company and I myself usually like use this like real framework so we try to like keep all our innovations like you know in like controllable environment and we approach them with uh, like 70 20 10 rules so like if a, a game or like a feature is like 100 percent 70 percent of it should be something proven 20 percent is something that's already proven but we are trying to make it better in kind of like common ways and uh we leave this 10 percent for like the craziest possible innovation we can do so this allows us to like, you know, move on schedule. This allows us to be like pretty sure in the result we receive in the end. And also like not limiting ourselves on like what we can do, what we cannot do. If we are mistaken, we will just try again, but we won't have to like rebuild everything from the ground. So yeah, please help sign out. Yep. Yeah, go for it, Jakob. Yeah, uh, I actually love this a lot for both what you, you um, both of you what said what you said. It's uh, I really think that uh, you can be brave when you can when you have like clear support from you know like uh, the management of the company and like when the process is there for like how do we do innovation. Like I think that uh, you can be not afraid if you know what to expect uh, if you know the rules by which the innovation will be evaluated. If you know that like uh, you can free up your time uh, from all the you know urgent tasks that you have elsewhere to actually dedicate it to innovation, and I think like to have like kind of a clear setup around the innovation like helps uh, people to be free and to actually like innovate and uh, know like kind of that the framework around it like uh, helps to be innovative and uh, to figure out your things efficiently yeah nice something i found really interesting there was some of the ivan said Did that, does anyone use this 70 uh 20 10 as well um alex uh yeah i would uh 
I would like to 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 react to that because it's something that I I've never used, but I've I've learned a lot about it, and I would like one day to just uh, uh, experiment this method. But also to what Soren said and uh, to Jakob said, the fact that in companies there is and it reassures me, and I'm really happy to see that that there is people thinking about creating the environment to um, to bring people to be innovative to think out of the box and to just get out of their comfort zone and the approach uh that sort of sorry uh, uh introduced the fact that like there's this snowball effect of if we manage to have like a little uh, embryo of an idea of innovation that is interesting and then we dedicate a little bit more time every time and then it gets bigger at some point we can um we can have like a new feature or we can have like a new game so it's something that is very very exciting to 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 hear and very exciting to experiment that's uh, i experimented it and it's very very nice when you have like a tiny idea that just like uh spread all over uh your team and people getting enthusiastic uh enthusiastic about it and they own this idea in the end and it 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 brings like the whole uh studio company project in the same direction to something like a bit uh yeah unexpected or unknown uh so there is like this little three we all have uh by exploring new uh, new boundaries of our of our media, so yeah, I, I really like also the philosophical approach of uh, Ivan about like being brave, but being brave uh, needs a context, and the context uh, Jakob and Soren explained it pretty well. That it needs to be set, it needs to be constant and reassuring, and then in in this in this time we can be brave at any like almost all the time. So that's that's very cool. No, yeah, thank you for that, Alex. And I think we've got quite a lot of information from all that then. And uh, has anyone got anything that they would like to sort of add on to it um, now that Alex has given a bit more context or anything? No? Okay, amazing. No, uh, it's been really good. Uh, and we've had a really good time to have you on the podcast today. Um, so before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thank you very much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts. Um, they have been Soren. Uh, Jakob, Alex and Ivan if you'd wish to top participate in a future podcast or would like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next addition to your team please con- connect with me on LinkedIn and again I'd like to just thank everyone for listening and thank you to all our guests